we had, you know, a lot of old timers who kept drilling in, you know, keep it in today. There's no difference between December 25th or your birthday or somebody's, you know, anniversary date or the date your kid's going to get married, which happened. (laughs) That's any different, you know, the difference in a day is what we bring to it. That was drilled into my head. You know, there's always a meeting on a holiday. There's always a meeting on a personal event day that's, that's available. You know, there's always the phone to pick up and talk to another alcoholic if there's any trouble. So I I did a lot of worrying on days that were not holidays is what I'm trying to say. (laughs) I heard it through the grapevine. Welcome. It's the AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour, featuring the collected voices of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm Don, an alcoholic in Greensboro, North Carolina. Hey, Don. Hey, everybody. I'm Sam, an alcoholic in Palm Springs, California. Sam, it's gift time. Ooh, what'd you get me? (laughs) We're going to interview Santa Claus today. What? We've had some amazing opportunities since we started as hosts of the Grapevine Podcast, but this? Whoa! I know it. (laughs) But that's not all. The new Grapevines are here! The new Grapevines are here! This month, it's full of stories from folks staying sober while isolated in remote communities, like people with physical or language barriers that prevent in-person meetings, or barriers like prison. There's lots of places where the Grapevine magazine is especially useful, and it's gift-giving season. I gave a subscription recently to a new friend living in a recovery house. Ah. Search AA Grapevine, carry the message to give a subscription to detoxes, rehabs, or jails. And one of my favorite stories in this issue is Back in the Picture on page 12 by Scott A., I could see the ending coming a mile away, but it made no difference. It still squeezed a tear out of my eye. It's really well written. It's a good one. Another is Let There Be Light on page 23, about a 6 a.m. meeting in Charlotte, North Carolina. The O600 group, with the O standing for, oh my gosh, it's early. (laughs) Well, dang, 6 a.m. is early. It's a sweet story about Christmas morning in 2020 when they lost power and had a frosty meeting by candlelight with a portable generator making the coffee. Listen to this. There indeed was something special on that dark Christmas morning with the candles flickering shadows on the slogans, steps, and traditions on the wall. They also lit up the smiling faces of hope and recovery as we fellowshiped around our meeting tables. Gives me shivers. Yeah, it uh, sounds beautiful, but thank goodness they had coffee. (laughs) Yeah, that's important. The only way you can mess up an AA meeting is messing up the coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Sam, I am excited about today's guest author from the magazine. Absolutely. Today's guest is Jack H. from Edenton, North Carolina, the author of 100 Beards. His story is on page 16 of the December 2022 issue. Who better to give us some experience on staying sober during the holidays than Santa Claus himself? Or at least someone who plays Santa Claus. But (laughs) it turns out that the sound quality of Jack's interview wasn't so great. So that interview is about five minutes. And after that, we'll talk with Karen L. from Greensboro, NC, about her experiences staying sober during the holiday season. She's been sober through many holiday seasons, so I'm sure she's got some great things to share. But first, the news. 
Well, we've got some news to share. We're looking for stories of hope about AA in prisons and jails by incarcerated members and by those who bring meetings to them. Are you involved in correspondent service or prison sponsorship? We'd love to hear your stories. Submit for the July prison issue. Stories are due January 15th, 2023. So send them soon. And you can make that submission at aagrapevine.org slash share. Grapevine does not accept donations, but you can offer your support by making a purchase at store.aagrapevine.org or by the Carry the Message gift certificates to sponsor Grapevine subscriptions for alcoholics in need. That's store.aagrapevine.org. Hi, my name is Jack A. I'm a grateful recovering alcoholic living in Edenton, North Carolina. I have a home group here. I have a sponsor, Kevin F., who is still in uh, Westminster, Maryland, where I lived previously. And uh, I've completed the 12 steps, and my sobriety date is May 26, 1986. Jack, thanks for joining us. Great to have you. I understand from your story that is published in the new issue of The Grapevine that you play Santa Claus on a professional basis. And I I really don't understand that because you don't look anything like Santa Claus. (laughs) I mean, I I wish listeners could see the screen here that we're looking at because you look just like Santa Claus and there's a filter or something on your screen that has a pink glow so you kind of have a jolly old elf you got some (laughs) rosy cheeks going on and everything (laughs) thank you for those compliments how i got involved with becoming a professional santa it wasn't my intentions to do this doors opened and i walked through them i was in las vegas nevada for a sales meeting for the company that i was working for ran into a group of fellows that look in large measure like I do today. And I ended up talking to one. I, I asked him, is there a beard and mustache competition going on here? And he said, <laughs> oh, no, we're uh, we're all brothers. We have the same father, but different mothers. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a Santa joke, Santa, obviously being a traveling man. <laughs> but he took me and introduced me to the gentleman that had started the uh, an agency called Naturally Santa, which I joined them. I was sober, and I didn't realize it at the time, but the gentleman I spoke to was also a card-carrying member of Alcoholics Anonymous. He initially was my Santa sponsor or mentor. We went out for 45 to 50 days straight through. When I found out he was one of us, I said, so what do you do without meetings for that length of time? And he asked me, he said, do you subscribe to the grapevine? I said, yes. He said, this year, don't open your grapevine. Hang on to them all and take them with you when you go out on set. And every (laughs) day when you leave the set, read a story in the grapevine and call me, which I did. It's proved to be successful. Grapevine's advertised as a meeting in print, and it works. Indeed. And I just love the idea of just bank your grapevines for a year, hold on to them and then take them on the trip. That's a fantastic idea. <laughs> you know, Christmas, it's a conflicted time of year, drinking or not drinking. 
it can be a time of sadness because of people that are lost. What can you say to that, to someone going through a bad time this time of year? Yeah. I'm going to relate a story that Richard and I and the other fan has shared. When you're on the set, it can be an emotional roller coaster. I mean, the great portion of the kids are uh, happy and joyous. But occasionally you'll get a kid, uh, they'll sit down and say, Santa, can you bring my mom back? Mm. It's heart-wrenching because you don't know. So is mom incarcerated? Is mom an addict on a street somewhere? Is mom deceased? And most times you end up saying that Santa is not able to do that for you. But I can assure you that Santa with his contact with the Lord, will pray for your mom and make sure that she is as happy as possible and that he wants you to be happy this Christmas as well. It's hard to get through. We also kept a small bell, you know, a dime store bell on a leather thong in our pocket for a moment like that. You tie it on a kid's wrist and say, you know, Rudolph told me you were coming today, and this is one of his bells, and I want you to wear that. Whenever you hear it ring, know that Rudolph and Santa are thinking of you. Aww. That's really sweet. Yeah. Well, Jack, thanks for being here today and visiting with us. Jack, thank you so much. Oh, thank you, guys. guys, I'm Karen. I'm an alcoholic. I now live and attend meetings in Greensboro, North Carolina. My home group is the Way Out Group. I got sober, though, back in, in 1986, and that was in New York. And my home group there was the Crow Hill Group, which became the Leonard Park Group. Very fond memories there. People who saved my life. Karen, that was a pretty good while ago when you got sober. What was going on with you? that gave you the idea of going to AA of all things. And I got to throw out there, that had to be when you were like 12 or something. Yeah. Also. I know. I was 21 years old. I had a best drinking buddy who had gotten sober. She kind of dropped off the face of the earth. And when I tried to track her down, I found her in AA. <laughs> oh, cool. She never told me that I was an alcoholic. I'd call her up and she would say, you know, I can't talk to you. You're one of my people, places and things. And I'm doing my 90 and 90. So my mm. sponsor has said that I can't talk to you. And I thought, my God, you know, she's like programmed or something. You know, she's joined a cult. But a few phone calls later, it was apparent to me that she was not drinking and she was happy. She was not the miserable failure that I was feeling like at the time. Mm. And so, you know, I was glad to find a place to go. Yeah. You were attracted to someone who was living a life that wasn't self-destructive. Yeah, like a one of those living big books that you hear about. Yeah. You know? I didn't know it could be done. I, I thought everyone drank like I did, and, and I didn't understand how people functioned. Can you share an obstacle that AA presented to you that you had to get through to get to the other side and then discover that this actually is going to work? So many. You know, I came in here with this whole, like, committee in my head. One of my committee members would tell me, how are you going to live life in Alcoholics Anonymous? These people were meeting in church basements and folding chairs. 
And then they would like go bowling on Friday nights. And I thought, my God, if this is my life, that committee member was telling me, just run, you know, run for your life. What do you got against bowling? <laughs> the shoes, you know, I mean, come on. <laughs> there was no way. I, how do you have fun? How do you live life? How do you, you know, I just didn't get it. But UAAs seem to be having a really good time. When you took me out to the diner after a meeting, I never laughed so hard in my life, you know. Oh, yeah. So all that laughter and all those meetings chipped away and kind of put duct tape on the mouths of my committee members that were telling me I was in the wrong place. (laughs) Those committee members that were saying, you know, come on, you're not that bad. You know, you can just leave town, (laughs) Go, go someplace else, get away from these people. Everything will be different, you know. But I had tried that many times and it, the best place that I landed was AA. Well, you had to get through some interesting times. I remember when I got sober, when a holiday would come up, it, that's what would throw me because then my routine got changed. Mm. Definitely. I, you've been through several, okay, many years of holidays. <laughs> Anything come to mind, particularly perhaps around Christmas? Yes. My first Christmas sober The plan was I was going up to visit my mother and my grandmother and my sister was going to be there. I owed all of these people amends. I don't think that I had driven up to visit my mother without smoking something and being fortified before walking through the door of her home since I was 11 years old. I was terrified. I had all these people reminding me that I was lucky to be alive, that being sober and being at the point where I I was going to be able to make amends to family members, that that was an opportunity and that I could start thinking about what I'm bringing to the occasion instead of what I'm going to be taking out of it. And that was part of the whole kind of revolution that was happening in my psyche, you know, that psychic change that we go through getting sober. It was very new, but having it occur on, you know, on the holidays at the same time as I was ready to make amends, it it just, it was a bit overwhelming. So I I had like basic tips, you know, Um, if you're, in the house and other people are having alcoholic beverages, make sure you don't put your drink down, you know, make sure you're drinking out of the right glass, that kind of thing. Did your family drink? My, my grandmother, she was one of those women who around the holidays would have one of those fancy drinks that you make in a shaker, pour it over the ice and she would take a sip and then she would put it down and then she might not touch it again for like an hour, you know? So one of those. no, they don't yeah. drink. <laughs> so they abused alcohol is what you're saying. Yeah. It, they're, they're, <laughs> they were this creature that I discovered when I got sober. There's such a thing as a social drinker. They exist. <laughs> and that, that, that was who she was. So you were given tips. I was given a lot of tips. There weren't cell phones and such back then, but I certainly knew people's phone numbers and I could mm-hmm. make a phone call. My sponsor was big on saying, take a break, go to the bathroom and hit your knees. But that first sober Christmas with my family, I remembered. (laughs) (laughs) I was not carried out of a restaurant after having thrown food around, you know, at people, which had happened on one occasion. I was on my two feet, you know, I was a human being, you know, having a meal with my family and my sister was talking to me for the first time in over a year. So it was good stuff life-changing stuff. That's awesome. I love that you brought up what can you bring to it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. How has that shown up for you in doing holiday things? You know, in the beginning, it was kind of bare bones. It was, I was bringing me sober (laughs) instead of me drunk. I was not the kind of albatross hanging around my family's neck. There was a, a Christmas that stands out. My son was two years old. I had just given birth to my daughter on December 7th. 
And so she's brand new and we've got a toddler and we had signed up for the intergroup phone line to come to our connection. We lived in Virginia Beach at that time. And my husband was in the program too. Both of us were answering. You wouldn't think that it would have been one of the best Christmases, but it was the middle of the night. I'm up beating my daughter. Steve's asleep and my son James is asleep. And one of those intergroup phone calls came through and it was a woman. So it was my ball. Uh (laughs) I got to catch that ball. If it had been a man, you know, it would have been my husband. And I got to talk to another drunk through her holiday crisis. I don't know. It just stands out. How did that help? I always feel good when I help another alcoholic or when I do anything that's useful. I don't know why it was. I just missed that my whole life. And I feel like it's almost the meaning of life, you know? It is. Yes. When you become useful, it's like, that's what I was looking for. Maybe in booze all along. I I don't know that high that you get from connecting with another human being and and helping them. None of my committee of defects of character or whatever you want to call them knew anything about that. Um, This was new for them too. And it kind of shut them up. So I didn't have any, I was free, you know, in my mind and, and able to connect with another human being and enjoy the fact that here I was living a life I never thought that I was going to get to, you know, at the end of my drinking, I really didn't think I was going to live much longer. So all my years after that, and all those holidays after that were kind of like gifts, you know, given time. Um, but I don't always see that, you know. Yeah. So how do you deal with the expectations that come, particularly with having a family around the holidays? And so this has to be good for the family. How do you deal with that and stay sober and remain with beautiful serenity flowing like water? Paint that picture, Don. <laughs> Yes. Paint that picture when kids are having, you know, tantrums because they've had all this sugar around Christmas and, (laughs) you know, the gifts are shredded and the box is more interesting than the gifts that you spent a lot of money on. And yeah, and it can be, holy shit, what's going on? Anytime those things happen, holiday or not, you know, it's a good time for me to connect with my people, you know, to get to a meeting, to see other alcoholics, to hear what they're grateful for. And then I remember what I'm grateful for to work with a newcomer who is struggling, then my struggles are suddenly, where'd they go? <laughs> um, <laughs> it's funny how know, they works, just disappear. Yeah. yeah. And then they turn around and do it for somebody else. You know, it's like genius, whoever thought this up. So <laughs> <laughs> one Christmas, I think it was in my second year, got a telephone call with a guy who needed a ride to the emergency room. He was going to quit drinking. He was going to get admitted into the local health center. He needed a ride Christmas Eve. Well, I had an eight-year-old son, and I left. I didn't get back till very late Christmas Eve. My wife was not happy that I had disappeared. Yeah, I could imagine, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it was good that I did it, and I needed to do it that year, but I really needed to be there for my family on Christmas Eve itself. How do you balance the responsibilities being there for your family and what you need for yourself to be sober in AA? That's a really good question. Yeah. I don't know. I guess we practice at it, right? Yeah. (laughs) I think um, our family has a way of letting us know what they need, (laughs) sometimes louder than others, but sometimes our family has to know what we need too. So 
I know I've been to meetings on holidays regularly when I was single and didn't have those obligations. And then when I was married and had kids and did need to be there for them, I would rely on the fact that it's it's not just me. You know, I'm part of an AA group. I'm part of an AA community. And I have to trust that there are others who are able to be there for the newcomer when I can't be. I'm not in it alone. So mm-hmm. Yeah. We want the hand of AA to be there. And sometimes that's not my hand. Yeah, true. I really like that you brought up when you were single versus married and then with children, because mm-hmm. your your experience of being a sober person has been through being a young person up into where you are now with being married with adult children. Yeah. What was being a young person in recovery during the holidays like for you? I've gone through times where I have been in the holidays and felt sorry for myself and had that self-pity, which is so dangerous for alcoholics, you know, but it's, but it's a reality. You know, we, we have that where I felt alone, like it wasn't going to happen for me. I was never going to have what I saw other people have. And during those early years of sobriety, I was having better relationships with my family of origin, but I spent a lot of time, you know, with my friends in AA. Yeah. I had a family who could help me with, you know, fellowship that could help me with those feelings of loneliness and that feeling sorry for myself. Mm-hmm. I've often heard that AA is my family of choice. Yeah, it was definitely my family of choice. I, I went ahead and freaking married one of y'all and um, <laughs> <laughs> I made my own family. And then, you know, I had a kid. Now she's <laughs> an AA, you know, so we're just keeping it going here. Um, I took it to an extreme. Yes, Don, AA is my family of choice. Imagine an AA doing that. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that's not everybody's story, but that's how I wound up. We get to know each other in AA at depth. And very quickly, it's not like anything I experienced prior to coming here. So those connections are strong and I have relied on them. I mean, people have feet of clay and we have higher power that we can rely on, but it, sometimes I really just need people, all their fallibility and relatability. And I don't know if that answers your question, but you, yeah. you asked a toughie. <laughs> <laughs> now you've talked quite a bit about the itty bitty bitty committee that Mm -hmm. runs around in the back of my head, which, uh, you know, that was something that I didn't realize was happening to me all the time until I got into AA and began to identify that there's this dialogue going on in the back of my mind that is really destructive. That's like when Mm -hmm. you really should have said this and you should have said and could have and oughta and and woulda and or you really messed up back there. You really are. That's the critic. He's yes. that, that committee member. Oh my gosh. And yes. that's why it's committee because there's different voices. So how do you talk to that committee or shut it down? Or what are the tools you use to stop that inner dialogue? At the beginning, it was important to me to listen at step meetings where people talked about how they work the steps and give examples in their life. That really helped me. What's happening now is I'm not so worried about shutting it down. I think those committee members are there for a reason. There are instincts. They're parts of being human. (laughs) But if they get obnoxious into my face, I like to talk with other alcoholics about it. People who know me. There are people in AA who know everything about me. I can bounce things off of other people. I I like that. You know, I like having a little bit of space for my committee 
you guys gave me that. You guys gave me a chance to grow into a spiritual person that I didn't know that existed. And so the committee doesn't run the show. That spiritual person does with the higher power. And if one of them tries to get in the driver's seat, you know, I, I can talk to my sponsor. I can talk to another person in AA, right? I can talk to you guys right now. I know. And it's kind of like pressing the eject button. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I don't have to listen to them all the time is what I'm saying. You said that there are instincts. Our instincts gone awry is what our mm-hmm. character defects are. Yeah. But when they're in balance, when they're doing what they're supposed to do, they're simply characteristics. I just heard a guy, I was at a great meeting today and I'm... A guy described it as, you know, you're in the boardroom and they're all board members. You know, you got Uh the angry, the critic, you got the rebel, you got the, they're (laughs) all board members, right? But who's the chairman? I am if I make the space, you know, Uh, and I can hear what they say. Sometimes they might have good advice, sometimes not. Sometimes it's important stuff. You know, maybe I need to take my own inventory and be like, you know what? That wasn't so cool that what you did over here. And then I might need to carry that conversation out into the world and make an amend or run it by another alcoholic and see where I stand. Or sometimes I need to just let it go like that thing that I did in 12 years old in school and everybody still remembers it. And wait, no, they don't. <laughs> no, they don't. Right. Maybe I could just feel those feelings and then just it's over. Right. Yeah. <laughs> what a concept. Right. <laughs> Thanks for being here today, Karen. This has been great. Karen. Take care. Have a happy Christmas. Thank you. You guys too. The Grapevine is looking for your story submissions. AA in the military. Stories are due February 15th, 2023. Did you ever serve in the military sober? Were you ever stationed overseas or on a ship while trying to stay sober? What were AA meetings like in the military? What were some of the challenges? Did you find AA while serving? Share your story by February 15, 2023 via aagrapevine.org share. I'm home. It's the most wonderful time of the... (laughs) Goodness, that must have been a great AA meeting. You're the picture of happiness. Oh, it was. I had the most tremendous awakening. I finally understood for the first time what is meant by the saying, we have to embrace our mistakes. Oh, honey, that's wonderful. Here, let me give you a big hug. (laughs) (laughs) it's really not that funny thanks for joining us the aa grapevine half hour variety hour is posted every monday and is produced by aa grapevine inc we don't speak for aa as a whole we share the experience strength and hope of members to help others recover from alcoholism Podcast info, including how to call in, is at aagrapevine.org slash podcast. Find AA Grapevine on Instagram and the AA Grapevine channel on YouTube. All things Grapevine are available at aagrapevine.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org.